you know, there doesn't seem to be much good news happening in the world today. So you'll be very pleased to know that we're going to be looking at a chapter today that is absolutely packed full of good news from start to finish. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the impact of Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the early church. And this morning, we're going to have a look at one of the most defining moments for the early church, the moment that the Holy Spirit powerfully demonstrated that salvation through Christ is available to everyone, irrespective of who you are and where you come from. This morning, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit changed the lives of two very different people, a Roman centurion called Cornelius and an ex-fisherman called Peter, who Jesus had put in charge of the early church. And Acts 10 is all about good news. It's a really exciting, great chapter, and I really hope that we can discover some powerful truths that we can apply to our own lives today. What can Cornelius teach us about a life that pleases God? What can Peter teach us about sharing our good news effectively? And what does the story of their heavenly ordained meeting tell us about our responsibility to others? So, it's Acts chapter 10. If you have it in your Bibles, that's great, but I'm going to put it up on the screen as well. So, uh, let's see how we get on. Okay. So in Caesarea, there lived a Roman soldier named Cornelius, who was the captain of the Italian regiment. And he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. Cornelius was a military man. He was captain of the Italian regiment. And in other translations, he's described as a centurion, which means that he would have had command over a hundred men. And centurions were known for their stability and their good sense. He would have been a Roman citizen, and he would have been awarded citizenship in recognition of his valour as a soldier. But the Bible's not interested in his military accomplishments or achievements. Uh, He focuses on what's going on inside Cornelius' heart. He's devout. He believes in God, and he believes in seeking God. He also fears God. In other words, he knows that he is answerable to God for his actions, and he wants to live a life that is pleasing to God. He inspires his family and those in his household to also be devout, to believe in God, to seek after him. He gives generously. He turns his beliefs into actions. He helps those around him who are less fortunate. He is sincere and he is authentic. And he is praying regularly, asking for God's guidance in his life. So here we have a man who believes in God, prays to God, seeks after God, inspires those around him to do the same, gives generously to the poor, and believes that his actions will one day be judged by God. He's living his life in a way that he hopes will bring honour to God. In fact, let's be honest... He out-Christians most Christians I know. But is it enough? Well, let's find out. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa 
and summoned a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Now, there are some amazing truths revealed right here. The first is, believing in God, praying to God, seeking to live a life that pleases God, and giving generously to the poor is not enough. Is not enough. Because if it was, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. Cornelius still needed to hear and respond to the good news about Jesus. You know, there are many people today who think that all you need to make it to heaven is to be religious, sincere in your beliefs, and lead a good, clean, moral life. But Cornelius shows that you can do all of these things, but you still need Jesus. God has good news for Cornelius. He's received his prayers. He's received his gift to the poor as an offering. He hears the prayers of people who are not yet followers of him. And if you are sincere about seeking God and you want to live a life that honors him, then God will make a way for you to hear and respond to Jesus. You see, this passage teaches us that actions matter to God. It wasn't Cornelius's belief that pleased God. It's what he did with that belief. His prayers, his gifts to the poor. You know, when we pray and when we give generously with the right heart, God will receive them as gifts for himself. Remember, Jesus said the same thing, didn't he, when he, he gave us that incredible picture of how he will separate out the peoples of the world as, as, separate, as a farmer would separate the sheep and the goats. And he says the truth to those who did the least one, to the least, the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. In other words, when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, when we protect the vulnerable, when we, when we befriend the lonely, when we do all of these things, we are actually offering worship up to God. And God will see that, and actions speak far louder to him than our words ever can. So why didn't the angel just share the good news about Jesus right there and then? Well, because angels don't have that privilege. That's an honor that God has reserved for humans. We are called to be his ambassadors on earth, and we're the ones entrusted with the responsibility of sharing the good news about Jesus with the rest of the world. So what does Cornelius do after his heavenly encounter? Well, as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. Cornelius obeys, and he obeys immediately. Like any good soldier, he doesn't ask questions of his superior officer. He just does what he's told to do. So let's compare Cornelius' response to a heavenly command with the response of the man that Jesus personally selected to lead the early church. Now in Joppa, we find Peter here. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a vo voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. 
But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. You see, God has good news for Peter. He can eat mixed grills. Okay. It's actually a bit deeper than that. He doesn't have to be legalistic over what is clean and unclean anymore. Now, I, I love Peter. He always comes across as being totally human and totally authentic. He didn't always understand what was going on around him, but his reactions were always genuine. And when he is commanded to go against his upbringing as a Jew by eating animals that he's always been told are unclean, his immediate reaction is to say no. No to God. No, Lord. Now, there's a contradiction in terms right there. You can say no to a friend. You can say no to your parents. You can say no to a family member, a church leader, a manager, anybody you like. But you really can't say no to your Lord. Because if you can say no to your Lord, then he's not really your Lord. But fortunately for Peter, God knows his heart. He knows his stubbornness. He knows his, his heart is in the right place. And he knows that he is a, an absolute rock. And he demonstrates his infinite patience by showing Peter patiently the same vision three times, presumably repeating the words each time, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And Peter, we are told, was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? And perhaps he was reminded about what Jesus had said about food. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. And there isn't one of us who hasn't at some point in their life said, thought, or done something that isn't on that list. We're all defiled before God. We're all unclean. But the message here is that God chooses to make us clean through Jesus. And it is very clear to Peter that there is a deeper meaning to this vision than simply being permitted to enjoy a wider variety of meats. But just as he's puzzling over the meaning of his vision, God engineers a real-world situation to help drive home the point. Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's home. And standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I've sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night, and the next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. The men sent by Cornelius had good news for Peter. God wanted to use him to share his message. But if you think about it, it must have been a terrifying situation to have three Romans turn up at your door and ask you to go on a long journey with them. 
I mean, just a short while earlier, Roman soldiers like that had nailed Jesus to a cross. And now Peter was being asked to go with them. To a Jew, a Gentile was unclean. And a Roman would have been considered the worst kind of Gentile because they'd invaded the country and were occupying it. Jews were forbidden to associate with Gentiles or even enter into their homes because to do so would make them unclean. Meanwhile, the Roman occupiers of Judea could do whatever they wanted to maintain order. And Peter was the leader of a group that worshipped a man that they had crucified. So he must have wondered what fate was waiting for him at Cornelius' house. No wonder some of the Christians from Joppa went with him, presumably in case things got nasty along the way. Now I sense that the soldiers sent by Cornelius tried to put Peter at at ease by pointing out that Cornelius was well respected by all the Jews. And given the fact that he would have been considered unclean, that was quite an achievement. But despite the fact that he was well respected by the Jews, Cornelius still needed to hear the truth about Jesus. And it's significant that Peter invited these men to stay the night, because it means that the barriers between clean and unclean were breaking down in his mind. He did what the Holy Spirit told him to do. By the way, the photograph on the screen behind me is actually a photograph of Joppa as it looks today. And it's amazing, they still have the flat roofs. I mean, it's easy to imagine Peter being up on that flat roof and having that incredible vision. So we're told that they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. And it was an 80-mile round trip along the coast from Joppa to Caesarea and back again. And it had taken them four days, which would suggest that they were traveling on foot. And in those four days, Cornelius had prepared for Peter's vision. Sorry, had prepared for Peter's visit. He'd rounded up his relatives and his close friends because he wanted them to hear what Peter was going to say. You see, Cornelius had good news for his family and friends. He didn't know it yet, but he knew that whatever was going to happen, he wanted his loved ones to be there with him when it happened. That's pretty inspirational faith on display right there. He hadn't even heard the good news about Jesus, and yet he already wanted to share the experience of finding out. And Cornelius must have wondered whether Peter, a Jew, was going to come into his house. Because to do so was forbidden amongst Jews. So it must have been a shock when Peter did. But we're told, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Even though Cornelius' heart was in the right place, he still makes mistakes. And falling down to worship a man that an angel had told you to send for was perhaps an understandable mistake, particularly for a Roman who had grown up in a culture that believed that they were gods everywhere. The Romans had a god of the sea, a god of the air, a god of work, a god of war, a god of love, a god of the home. So gods were, were everywhere. A few years ago, Helen and I went to Rome for a couple of days. And on day one, we we looked at the magnificent Colosseum and some of the buildings around it. And on day two, I wanted to see the the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, 
that Michelangelo had painted. So we went on the Vatican tour. And the Vatican tour was eye-opening. I don't think I've ever seen so much gold in one place before. And in St. Peter's Basilica, where they believe Peter is buried, there is a large statue of him. And I'll show you a picture of it. There he is. And he has a deformed foot. There we are. I've added a close-up of the foot so that you can see it's a bit weird. The sandal has worn down. And the reason it's worn down is because over the centuries, hundreds and thousands of people walking by have bent down and kissed his foot. And they've kissed his foot so many times that it no longer resembles a foot. It looks more like the head of a duck-billed platypus. It's all sort of like, and it's all sort of, and that's the metal, the metal, the bronze has actually worn down. And I wonder, have any of these people over the centuries read Acts chapter 10 and seen what Peter does to people who fall at his feet? You know, I mean, it's incredible. But there it is. I don't think Peter would be enormously impressed to know that his statue has been worn down over the years by the number of people bowing in front of it and kissing it. But anyway, back to the passage. What is amazing about this passage is that Peter enters the house of Cornelius and he talks to him as an equal. Now that's huge. You see, Peter had clearly reflected on the meaning of his vision during his long walk as he was making that journey to Cornelius' house. And when he gets there, he doesn't hesitate. He goes straight inside. And Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now, tell me why you sent for me. Now, according to the Old Testament, there was no law that prohibited such an association. But what Peter is referring to is that it was unlawful according to Jewish customs and practices. Did you know that a devout Jewish man would begin every day with a specific prayer to God? He would say, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Think about that. Who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Ouch. A Jewish man would also make an oath promising that he would never help a Gentile under any circumstances, even if it was giving them directions, if asked. If a Jew married a Gentile, the Jewish community would have a funeral for the Jew and consider him dead. I mean, this behavior must have made the Jews a very challenging people for the Romans to govern, and I'm sure that many Romans despised them in return. And it was this Jewish custom and practice that Jesus put an end to. Consider the wonderful words of Paul in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 3, when he says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And suddenly what Paul says actually makes sense when you think about that Jewish prayer, because he's actually saying, There is no slave, there is no Jew or Gentile, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus has brought all of those groups together completely. You see, Peter understood the vision that he'd been given. God didn't just give him permission to eat all types of meat. He also gave Peter permission to share the good news with all types of people. 
The four corners of the sheet in his vision correspond to the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. The sheet's contents indicate the diversity of human life in Peter's world. And with the meaning of the vision now clear to him, Peter can declare, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Everyone and anyone can be accepted into God's family. And that's even more good news. So Cornelius shares with Peter the vision that he's had, the meeting with the angel. He says, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here, waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. I love how Cornelius describes how they are all waiting before God. He knew better than most Jews that God is everywhere. When Jacob fled from his brother Esau... He was amazed that God spoke to him in a dream there. He says in Genesis 28, Surely God is in this place, and I knew it not. And likewise, Jonah thought he could run away from the presence of God. But Cornelius grasped what they didn't, that God is always with us. And then Peter replied, I can see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him. And do what is right. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. You see, Peter had some good news for Cornelius, his family, and his friends. And his message was short, direct, and to the point, like all good news should be. How many times have you shared good news with somebody and you've burst into the room and you've said, Guess what? Your good news is always short, direct, and to the point. That's basically what good news is. And that's exactly how Peter says it. Peter says this. This is the message of good news for all the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all. You see, the good news is that we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. Up until now, Cornelius had been trying to live a life that pleased God. But he didn't know what God thought about him until now. And as a Roman soldier, he must have said and done some very unpleasant things. He'd made lots of mistakes. He needed God's peace in his life, the peace that only Jesus can make possible by making us right with God. And I want you to think about your own experience of, of when you came to faith. I know for me, I had struggled for months and months and months. I was in turmoil. I'd explored different religions I'd flirted with the idea. I wanted to understand God's purpose for my life, or even whether there was one God or lots of gods or no God. And I went round and round and round in circles, and I became quite depressed, and my head was just in turmoil, and I needed God's peace. And when I gave my life to Christ, I had that peace for the first time in my life. So I know what that means, and that's the good news. Now, when we are sharing our good news, we have to explain first and foremost that Jesus offers peace with God. Paul go, Peter goes on. 
You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now this is significant too, because Peter here is looking for common ground. You see, he reminds Cornelius about what he's already heard. He's already heard about John the Baptist, that he knows that Jesus went around performing miracles. The Apostle Paul later wrote that when he looked for common ground, when he was sharing good news. So if he was talking to the Jews, he would act like a Jew. If he was talking to Gentiles, he would act like a Gentile. Paul says, I became all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And that's a good reason for us as well, isn't it? Before we can share our good news with people. We need to find common ground with them. Peter goes on. We apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. And then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He's the one that the prophets spoke about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. You see, Peter describes to Cornelius and his family and friends what Jesus had done. The miracles, the healing, the liberating, the crucifixion and the glorious resurrection. He is appointed by God to judge everyone alive or dead. Jesus carried the presence of God with him wherever he went. To know Jesus is to know God, and to know God is to know Jesus. And Peter also demonstrates how his own life has been changed by knowing Jesus. He's an eyewitness. He saw it with his own eyes. Peter didn't see the ghost of Jesus. He ate and drank with him after he'd risen from the dead. And now Jesus has sent him to share this good news. His life has been changed, transformed. So when we are sharing our good news, we have to, have to think about how Jesus has changed our own life and share that. How has Jesus changed your life? How has living a Christian life transformed and changed you? You know, St. Francis of Assisi once said to his students, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Our lives, the way we live our life, the way that people see us in the, at home, in the workplace, socially, everywhere, that reflects on the presence of God in our lives. That reflects on what Jesus means to us. And, uh, and you know, we can preach the gospel without even opening our mouths. Finally, Peter explains that God offers us his pardon. Jesus offers us, through Jesus, we can have God's pardon. We can have a new relationship with God. Our sins can be forgiven. And whether we know it or not, our greatest spiritual need in this life is to be restored to a relationship with our Creator. And Peter presents Jesus here in just a few simple words as the way we can have our sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, and a new relationship with God forever. So I think in these few simple words, 
Peter kind of lays out for us, doesn't he? A, a, a real framework of how we can share our faith with others. Explain what Jesus offers that no one else can. Peace with God. Find common ground. What do they already know about Jesus? Show what Jesus has done. He carried God's power and his presence with him through his miracles, his inspired teachings, his death and his resurrection. And then show how Jesus has changed your life. Because Peter's commission, of course, is ours too. And then invite them to believe and receive the pardon of God through Jesus. You see, good news isn't complicated. It isn't hard to understand. It is simple, it's direct, and it's to the point. And I love how clearly Peter speaks here. His words are not hard to understand. He's not using any complex theology or jargon, nothing that would get in the way of introducing people to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but there's nothing worse than jargon. I get a lot of jargon in work, and I'm always having to say, sorry, what does that mean? And it turns out it's a new computer system that they've installed or a new program or something like that. I hate it. I, and I always struggle as well, I don't know about you, but with, with text speak. Text speak. I always trouble, trouble with that. Which emoji to use at the right time? Which is appropriate? Somebody sent me earlier this week a thumbs up sign to say all is good. I looked through my emoji list, I couldn't find a thumbs up, so I sent them a banana. <laughs> Looked like a thumbs up. And they sort of sent me back a question mark. I'm like, Whoa. And I realised that was a big faux pas. Should never send a banana. That has a completely different meaning that you don't, you don't want to go into. And, and my mother fell foul of this. I mean, my mother fell foul of this right at the very beginning of text speech. She used to think LOL meant lots of love. And that was all very sweet and nice until my brother texted her to say that his cat had died. And you can imagine how she replied. LOL. Yeah, that took a bit of, a bit of uh, difficulty to try to work that one out. That was a, a difficult moment. But, you know, Christian jargon, I think, sometimes can be even worse than that. Because Christian jargon can get in the way of people understanding how simple the good news is. I, I had a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, we grew up together. Uh, we were partners in crime, quite literally, sometimes. Um, and uh, we, when I became a Christian when I was 19, he didn't. And, and obviously, our, our lives took a very different turn after that. And I wanted very much to get my friend Paul into church. And uh, one day, after months and months and months of beating him down, I finally got him to agree to come with me one, one evening. And we went into church... I was incredibly nervous, hoping that the, the preacher that day was going to say something that was going to be, wow, inspiring and powerful. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. And, uh, and the preacher, I think that day, just took the opportunity to go through some torturous passage of Leviticus. Or, or, which, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, nothing against Leviticus, but when, you've got, when you're sitting there with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't ever go to church, uh, it can be a very challenging, challenging subject. And at the end of it, and I'll never forget this as long as I live, at the end of it, um, the, the, the elder came outside and was chatting to, uh, to us, and I introduced him to my friend Paul, and I said, uh, this is my friend Paul. And I'm sure he had absolutely the best intentions at heart. But he shook Paul's hand, and he said, tell me, son, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
And my friend Paul went, Ugh! completely uncomprehending. Now, to us Christians, that was quite a sensible thing to ask, but there's ways of asking, and that was not a way of asking. And, uh, and unfortunately, uh, Paul laughed at me all the way home and never went back to church, and that's really sad. And the point is that Christian jargon can kill. It can kill. It's as simple as that. So what Peter is saying, let's take, if we learn nothing else from today, take a leaf out of Peter's book. And when we're sharing our faith, let's do so in a way that is really clear, concise, and to the point, and clear to understand. So what happens next? I hear you cry. Well, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Peter didn't even get to finish his talk before the Holy Spirit stepped in with power. And the Holy Spirit came, of course, with good news for the world. He is a great disruptor of man-made plans. I had the privilege of seeing this for myself a few times. I can remember, uh, without going into too many details, uh, many years ago, uh, I was involved in a youth group that met on a Friday night in our old church, and we did lots of games and crafts and things like that. And we also had a chill zone in the main hall, which I used to really, really love, because we'd turn the lights down, we'd put out loads of cushions and bean bags, and people could just sit around, chilling out and chatting. And of course, I used to love that time because it was great because you'd start looking at life from a spiritual dimension and sharing with these young people. And it was really, really exciting. But over a period of no more than about three weeks, suddenly the Holy Spirit began to move in that environment. The kids wanted to pray. So we would go down the front and they started praying. Not us praying for them. They started praying for each other. And I remember standing at the back of the church watching in total awe as the Holy Spirit moved powerfully over them. And over the next few weeks, it was incredible. Uh, they would go and tell their friends what was going on, and their friends would be coming along, and they would all be going down to the front. They would be praying for them, and their friends were becoming Christians. And we were seeing healings, and we were seeing transformed lives. And it was the most exciting, incredible time I think I've ever been involved in. Just three weeks. And I can remember on the third week, sitting at the back of the church, watching all this unfolding, praising God, but being slightly concerned because the light that was fixed to the ceiling had begun to swing. And, and it was quite dark, and the light, it was like a beam of light that was going up and down the front of the church. And as the kids were coming in, it was almost like it was saying, come down, come down to the front, this big swinging beam of light. And I remember making a mental note I've got to tell the pastor of the church that our light's going to fall down. Very practical, I know. But I was thinking, it shouldn't be swinging like that. That's quite dangerous. So, the, so the, a few days after that, I said to the, the pastor, oh, uh, we need to fix our light. It's loose. It's swinging. It could, it could fall down on somebody's head. So we went and had a look. And you know what? It was absolutely fixed. It wasn't moving at all. It was absolutely solid. And I realized then, wow, the Holy Spirit is moving in this place. I can't say that that's happened lots of times in my life. I wish I could. But when it does, you know it. And it's powerful. And the Holy Spirit moved in such a way that the Jewish people who had come with Peter 
were amazed. Now they were probably expecting Peter to tell them that the Jewish men had sorry that the men all had to be circumcised because that's what was required by Jewish law. Because without circumcision they couldn't even go into the temple to worship God. But when the Holy Spirit turned up, he showed that that wasn't necessary anymore. And then Peter said, "Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did?" So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. In one incredible moment, God showed up. God showed that the good news of salvation, which Peter thought was only for the people of Israel, was actually a message for the whole world. And if the gifts of the Holy Spirit were being poured out on Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, then who was he to keep them? out of the church. So he ordered them to be baptized immediately. Baptism, as we know, is an outward symbol of the inward change that has taken place inside a person's life when they become a follower of Christ. And Peter realized that he had absolutely no right to deny them baptism when it was so obvious that they had become Christians. And despite having received the Holy Spirit, Cornelius was very keen to hear more from Peter and so asked him to stay for several days. I assume he wanted to know more about Peter's experiences with Jesus. I would love to have been a fly on that wall. So that's the end of Acts 10. It's an amazing chapter, and it's full of good news. The angel brings good news to Cornelius. God brings good news to Peter. The men sent to find Peter bring good news to him. Cornelius brings good news to his family and friends, and Peter brings good news to them. And finally, the Holy Spirit turns up and brings good news to everyone. So what does this chapter teach us about our responsibilities as Christians? Well, as we've seen, our actions matter far more to God than our beliefs. You know, James puts it like this, don't just listen to God's word, do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Someone asked Charles Spurgeon, the the famous 19th century preacher, if people could be saved if they did not hear the gospel. And Spurgeon's reply was to turn it on his head and say, you're not asking the right question. What you should be asking is, can we be saved if we don't deliver the gospel? You see, everyone can be saved. And so everyone needs to hear about Jesus. As Acts 8.10 shows us, no one is too clean to need Jesus, and no one is too unclean to be denied Jesus. Everyone we meet needs to hear about him. And in order for that to happen, we must be prepared to move out of our comfort zones so that God can use us. I'm sure Peter really didn't want to go on a 40-mile hike with three Roman soldiers that he'd never met before. But he did. He stepped out of his comfort zone so that God could use him. And God is always with us, especially when we step out and put our faith into action. You know, we must share our good news about Jesus clearly and without jargon, because it's good news. It doesn't need theological insights and and lengthy, lengthy sermons. It's good news, and it should be shared as such. And when we are obedient to God... The Holy Spirit will do amazing things in our lives. You know, Peter was obedient, Cornelius was obedient, and the Holy Spirit blessed them. And I'm going to end with this. 
If you are having difficulty experiencing God's peace in your life, and if you don't feel forgiven, and if you don't feel worthy, and if you feel perhaps that uh, life is just getting too much, and you're just not convinced of anything anymore, then I would encourage you to put your trust in Jesus afresh. He died so that you could know God. And you invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life today. And you trust that he will. Because that is the good news. The power of good news. Thank you.